Good evening. It is good to see each of you again. We welcome you for our guest. If you would, take your Bible and let's all open to Acts the 10th chapter. We'll study through that this evening, Acts the 10th chapter. Uh, we will have very limited slides tonight. The, the layout did not transfer over properly from my computer to, we're getting thumbs up. Okay, there'll still be limited as far as the text and the scripture then. And so uh, if you would, make sure and open your Bible because we're going to study a marvelous story tonight. We did receive good news just as service was beginning. Someone had received a text and Rick Waldrop has come home this afternoon and we are thankful uh, that he is able to be at home. He still does not need visitors right now. The family is requesting, uh, but we are thankful that he, uh, both of the Rickies were able to come home uh, this afternoon. We're thankful for that. Let's continue to pray for them and, and so many others and continue to reach out and to help in every way that we can uh, to serve our brothers and sisters. This morning I mentioned to you that the beautiful thing about studying Acts the 10th chapter is we see the key that Peter is the one that was told that he would use this key to unlock, to give access to the kingdom of heaven. Acts the second chapter, we see Peter reaching out, and as the Jews cried out, what shall we do? They knew that they were guilty of crucifying the Savior, and so they were told they needed to repent and be baptized. In 41, those who gladly received the word were baptized, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, verse 47. But what is interesting is that even though they understood the Great Commission was to spread to all nations, what they failed to understand, that is, especially the apostles and perhaps all of the first Christians that were coming from a background of Judaism, they failed to understand that when he spoke of all nations, literally was speaking of Gentiles and Jews. You see, there were Jews scattered in almost every nation, so it wouldn't be uncommon for a Jew to think, okay, Christ wants us to go and to reach the Jews that are in all of these nations. But what about if a Gentile shows interest? Well, what they've been doing for quite some time was proselyting them. They would bring them in, they would circumcision, give them the right of being a, a part of their Jewish community, and then they would baptize them into Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. And so up until Acts the 10th chapter, we did not see a Gentile being brought into the family of God, the church. They were not brought into the church without having to go through some extra steps that God simply did not command. And so now the church has been in existence anywhere from five, but probably closer to ten years of time. And we're going to see a story unfold here where literally the Lord is telling Peter through a vision, I'm giving you the key again. You go and you make a final unlocking to the kingdom of heaven. You let the Gentile community come in. Now, I don't know about your, your bloodline, but my particular bloodline has no connection to Jews. You see, when I think about where does my history in the Lord's church come in, my history comes in Acts 10. I'm thankful Acts 10 took place because that is the time where the Lord said and made it clear in the church, there's not going to be two nations and one nation is the chosen, and one nation's the outcast, or if this outcast can become like the chosen, and then they can be saved. But what does this mean as we even think about our campaign? As we think about the one campaign, we live in one town. It's a wonderful town, but it's full of individuals that are separated from God because of their sin. That's the one problem. And we can offer them the only solution that they could ever have, and that is a Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about one, 
when we think about one, we think about the story of Acts the 10th chapter. There was one man that was devout. He was fearing God. He wanted to help those about him. He prayed always to God. But do you know that if you'll glance down in your Bible in the 11th chapter, we read in the 11th chapter in verse 14 that what Peter was going to tell them, 11 and 14, who will tell you words by which you and all of your household will be saved. You know what we learn about this one man that everything he knew to do toward God, he was devout in it. He knew that he should pray to God, and so he prayed always. He knew that he should be helpful to others, and he was helpful to others. There were many things we could say to Cornelius that was good, but you know what he didn't have? He didn't have salvation. Wouldn't that describe many of our neighbors? Many of our neighbors, that they reach out and they help us regularly, they're good people. They maybe even are people that pray regularly. But here, they may be very similar to Cornelius and his household. They're simply not saved. And so when we think about one, think about who is that one person that you would love to see brought to the Lord. But then think about this. Who is that one person that will go to them? But think about this. Who is the one God that commands for us to go? Tonight as we think about one, I'd like for you to think about those ones as it relates to those three. Tonight what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to just study this story for much of our time and just making some comments along the way as we unfold this story out of its text. And then at the end, I want us to simply come back and be reminded of the ones that we just spoke about. When we study this story, it's interesting how really it can be broken down, whether you want to say in four points or in eight points, but the four points are all dual. In other words, we can study beginning in the 10th chapter about two visions, We can study about two journeys. We can study about two speeches. And then we can also study about two confrontations. And as we do that, let's look at this story in that setting. Do you remember this morning we studied in Acts the 10th chapter, the beginning, the layout of of Cornelius, how he was such a righteous man. But he saw a vision in verse 3. It's about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly, this is Acts the 10th chapter, in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and he observed him, he was afraid, and he says, what is it, Lord? He said, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. And he told where he was lodging, and so he sent three messengers on their way to find Peter. So this is a vision where we have this man that is so devoted to God But God came and miraculously told him how he could get one to come to him to tell him what he needed to do in order to be saved. So that's the first vision. Well, notice what happens when we begin verse 9. We read of a second vision. This is Peter's vision. It was the next day, and they went on their journey. And now Peter up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it's about noon. And and they are the three o'clock. And so they, they come along here in verse 10 and became very hungry and wanted to eat. And while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him like let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No, not so, Lord, for I have never 
eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call unclean. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, you know that what he's doing, he's preparing him for the new mindset that would be formed not in the traditions under the old law, but under Christianity, and that is people are not unclean. Here, they had dietary laws under the old law of certain things that simply they could not eat. For example, pork was one of the things they couldn't eat. Shrimp they couldn't eat. Catfish they couldn't eat. All of these things were considered unclean. And so the Lord shows them a vision of some of these animals that would have been unclean. And he says, now I want you to eat of these things. And notice here how so far as the things that were unclean, he was a teetotaler. Notice, he said, no... Not so, Lord, I have never eaten anything. Do you see his conviction? Here is is a, a man that grew up as a young man in a fishing boat up in Galilee, but... And and this is where I kind of get aggravated when people try to really play down the apostles just because they didn't go to the rabbinic uh, schools and and chosen of the great schools in Judea. And and people try to play them off as if they were just just old rough men that had no conviction to God. And then all of a sudden Christ calls them and they become something wonderful. Here is a man. He maybe did not make his living being a rabbi of his day. But he made his living being out on a fishing boat and refusing to go against the dietary laws. He could honestly say to God, I have never taken one bite of food that you have told me not to take. The Lord shows him three times what he wants him to eat. He's already hungry to begin with. He's already told us that. And he still will not do it because he still believes that it would be absolutely sin if he did this. Now, at this point, he doesn't understand. Which, by the way, I know from, you know, our, we, all we can do is the best we can do to understand this. But I would suggest to you that when the Lord said to him in verse 15, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. I would suggest to you that Peter, trying to understand that statement, would have been so confused. You can imagine, all of his life, he had a clear understanding. These are things I cannot eat. And he's hearing the Lord say in a vision, what I've cleansed, don't you call common or unclean. And you can imagine at the end of this vision, he's probably just kind of, just just in deep, frustrated meditation. What is God trying to tell me? I know I can't eat that food, but God just told me he cleansed it. I know it's unclean, but God said for me not to tell him that. Can you imagine the frustration? Well, we see a little bit of that taking place as we go now, and let's talk just a moment about the two journeys. Remember, Cornelius had received the message that he was supposed to send men, and so now we pick up in 17 with those men's journey. In verse 17, Now, Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. You see that? He's pondering it. I don't understand what that vision meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And so they asked to make sure they're at the right place. And I'd like for you to notice verse 19, just because it ties back to the vision that Peter was so confused about. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, can you imagine that? He was thinking about the vision. I can't understand that vision. You can imagine him thinking. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, go with them. Now here it is, doubting nothing, 
for I have sent them. Can you imagine at this point? He's, he's completely been doubting the vision. I don't understand it. I'm confused. And now it's not a vision anymore. Now the Spirit of the Lord just speaks to them. By the way, Peter, there's going to be three men at the bottom of the stairs. They're going to ask you to go with them. Oh, and they're going to be unclean. They're going to be Gentiles. And I don't want you to doubt anything. I want you to go ahead and do exactly as they say. Friends, now you see the groundwork we're laying here. It's not just about Acts 10. It's about you and me in Mount Juliet 2009. How many times have you and I made excuses about why we can't give an invitation to our neighbor? We, we aren't the ones that should be speaking to our co-worker at work. How many times have we heard the Lord's message that we ought to love souls, we ought to, to reach out and to help, and we seem confused about how are we going to do that? We seem to, to kind of make up excuses of why God probably doesn't really expect me to do that. I understand God hasn't given all of us the ability to teach, but all of us can speak a good word for the Lord. All of us can give an invitation. All of us can even set up a Bible study and have somebody else do it. All of us can do that, but maybe at some time we find ourselves feeling a little bit like Peter in the sense of, I'm confused. How would I do that? And I love the words here where he says, doubt nothing. In other words, maybe we put too much emphasis on our confusion and our doubt when we ought to put more emphasis on God said do it. So let me walk down the steps. Let me meet those people and I'll simply do what God said to do. And so the journey's been made by Cornelius' men. See, we've seen two visions so far. We've seen Cornelius' vision. We've seen Peter's vision. Now we've seen one journey. We've seen the journey by Cornelius' men. And he talks, they continue to talk to him and then in verse 23, we see the beginning of Peter's journey. 23, he invited them in and lodged them. Now see, that would have been a stretch for Peter if he probably hadn't have already seen this vision and heard the Lord say, don't doubt. So he invites these Gentiles in and invites them to stay with him. And notice, on the next day, Peter went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa also uh, accompanied them. Now over in the 11th chapter, verse 12, you'll see that there was actually six men that went with Peter to uh, Caesarea to meet them. And it's a good thing that they were there because later on, which goes in the 11th chapter, there's going to be so much questions offered to Peter from the Jewish community. Why did you go in and eat and dine with a Gentile? Why did you baptize a Gentile? And it doesn't say in these exact words, but what's being implied is, why did you baptize a Gentile without circumcising first? And so that's what's laid out there. And now not only can he say, hey, let me tell you my story. He can say, I have these six Jews that are witnesses also. They're faithful brothers. They were there. They've seen the whole thing also. So in, in good, godly wisdom, he has witnesses that he can convey this also to the Jewish community. So we, now we see two visions and we see uh, two journeys that take place. Peter arrives to the door. And 24 and 25, Cornelius is so excited that he's gathered all of his relatives and friends around because he knows that there's one that's going to come and is going to tell him the message of the Lord. And so he's gathered everybody together. Now, in his excitement, and let me also say in his ignorance, I really don't think, I, I guess I'm standing up for Cornelius here, I don't think he was trying to do something wrong. But notice what he did in 25. As Peter come in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. See, God told him he was going to send a messenger that would teach him the words of God. And so Cornelius probably literally didn't know any better. And so he was ready to worship 
the messenger of God. And, and Peter immediately corrects him and tells him to stand up in 26. I myself am also a man. And then as we skip down into verse 30, this is where Cornelius gives his short speech to Peter. Notice this speech beginning at 30. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and I will call Simon here, whose surname is Peter, He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. Now, we want to read the next verse to see what he was going to speak. So I went to you immediately. So I sent to you immediately. And you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. You see, Cornelius might not have been so certain as to whether or not he was supposed to fall down and worship this man, but he did know this. And this is where you have to say hats off to Cornelius. He knew he wanted to hear a message from God. Here was a man hungry to get his life right with God. Friends, I believe with all of my heart that there are neighbors on our streets, that there are residents of Mount Juliet right now that are hungry to have their life right with God. They would listen to someone who could convince them that they have a message from God. And so here's this man. He didn't have everything right in his life. He still needed to know what he needed to do to be saved. He didn't fully understand that he wasn't supposed to bow down and worship the messenger of God. There were some things amiss in his life, but he knew something that was so important. You are supposed to bring me a message from God. And I love the thought of that so much. I've gathered all my family together. I've gathered all my friends together. And now here's Peter. And I try to imagine Peter here. Can you imagine that vision running through his mind? Wow. Has God really cleansed these people? Can I really now step into this house? I've never taken one bite of that which is unclean. I've never mingled with Gentiles before. What am I supposed to do here? Well, we know he's already taken some huge leaps of faith doing what God has asked him to do when maybe he didn't fully understand it. And so now we see him continuing to do that as we read verse 34. Now we see another speech. We've just read one speech. Cornelius says, let's read a little bit about Peter's speech beginning at 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth... I perceive that God shows no partiality. I can't help but smile when I read that. Can, can you imagine? It's almost as if, well, out of all the places he could have started. I know some of you that have been to some of the workshops that we've had uh, with Steve Cummings. You know the, the expression, somebody can't help but tell their story? You know, we've studied about that. You can't help but tell your story. Peter can't help but tell his story, can he? Notice, he doesn't just say here, God shows no partiality. How did he lead that sentence? In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. You see what he's saying? He's saying, wow, before this day, I thought I kind of understood the idea when God is not partial. I I thought I understood that. But I want to tell you, after that vision I saw the other day, And now I know God has told me to follow these three men that are Gentiles and to come to you 
and I'm supposed to have a message for you, and now you want me to walk in your house and talk to all these Gentiles? I'm beginning to get a new perception of what it means when God is not partial. Just a little side note. When you and I do everything that we can to fulfill every opportunity God gives us to reach out to others, isn't it amazing how it always helps us grow just as it helps the others grow? I believe with all my heart you could have met Peter at the end of this day and you could have said, Peter, tell me about your faith. Yesterday and today has been a pretty big day. You've reached out to a whole new nation. Has your faith grown? And I believe Peter would have probably said, wow, that's probably some of the greatest growth in two to three days my faith has ever been through. I hope that at the end of this summer that this auditorium will be full of us where we can say, my faith has grown more this summer than perhaps any other summer in my life. Because as we are stretched to do God's will simply because it's God's will, it pulls us out of our comfort zone. It causes us maybe to say some things we wouldn't have said in the past, to take a step we wouldn't have taken, to go up to a door maybe that we wouldn't have gone up to, to make a phone call that maybe we wouldn't have made. But to be stretched like that, very well, we will be the ones who grow the most. I think we see that in Peter as he begins this lesson. And then what, what does he do? He begins talking about a sermon with them that is very similar to that sermon back in Acts, the second chapter. You see in verse 38, he identifies Jesus of Nazareth. And then he identifies in uh, 39 that the Jews in Jerusalem were the ones to kill him. And in 40, that he raised, that God raised him on the third day. And 41, that after his resurrection, there were witnesses chosen before God who literally were able to sit down and to eat and drink with him. Remember, the apostles actually had breakfast with Jesus on the seashore that, that Jesus prepared. And so he is showing them the gospel. He is teaching them, which is no surprise. Remember, we talked about this several weeks ago as we began the book of Acts. What is the very core of the gospel? The very core of the gospel is the life, but especially the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's what he teaches them. And then he cries out in 43 to him, all the prophets, witnesses that through his name, Whoever, now I assure you that that had a new meaning to Peter as he's saying this right here. Whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sins. And now we're going to see a confirmation. Peter is going to see something that I would suppose the way it's recorded here and as he talks about it in the 11th chapter, he probably was not expecting this. Notice this confirmation. 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now I want to pause right here. And, and I, I want you to note, well, let me go ahead and finish this thought in 45 and 46. Notice what, th this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's taking place here. Remember, it's already taken place in Acts, the second chapter, when the church was beginning with the Jews. And so now it's the same baptism of the Holy Spirit. Notice how the baptism of the Holy Spirit is never something that is obeyed. It's always a promise fulfilled. And now later they're going to be commanded to be baptized 
into water, into Christ. And, and that's, a, that's a command. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was always a promise that the Jews received in Acts 2, the Gentiles received in Acts 10. And we see here that in 46, they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? You see... Here he's talking about the miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about the measure of the Holy Spirit that we all receive when we're baptized into Jesus Christ and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he says, remember, we received it back in Acts 2. And now I'm preaching this sermon to Gentiles. And wow, they're baptized. The Holy Spirit pours upon them. And they're doing the same things that we did back in Acts, the second chapter. So now who am I to say that they have to go through circumcision. They have to be proselytes before they can be brought to the Lord. And so he gives in 48 the command for them to be baptized in 47 to 48. But what I'd like for you to see is when he later has to defend this before the Jews, notice what he says in in, uh, verse 16 of the 11th chapter. In 16 of the 11th chapter, he said, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said. Now, what he's doing here is he's defending himself and he's talking about how the Holy Spirit was poured upon them. And when it was poured upon them, this is what he remembered. John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so this pouring of the Holy Spirit is the very same thing that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that had come upon them. Now, as we see this, that was confirmation for Peter. Peter was ready to accept it. Okay, these people truly can come to Jesus. I believe that. But the problem as we go into the 11th chapter, when word spread around Jerusalem that that's what had happened in Caesarea among the Gentiles, they needed confirmation. And and so the story is told again, and I'm just going to scan some of this with you. And, And if you're not real familiar with this, I encourage you to read the 10th and 11th chapter over the next few days. But he re... re, re he reviews the vision that, that he saw in the 11th chapter 4 or 5 with the Jews there. And then he makes mention of the fact in verse 12 that there were six brethren that accompanied him that serve as witnesses also. And then he tells about the speech uh, that, that was received there by Cornelius in verse 13. And then he tells about how he stood up in 15 and the speech that he made. And then... I love this line in 17 because this gets at the heart. Remember we talked about why would Peter do what Peter did when when he he was so opposed in this vision to to having any contact to that which is unclean. Why did he go ahead and, and have those people baptized? And notice what his answer is in 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who was I? that I could withstand God. Isn't that a beautiful answer? Who am I? I can't stand against God and tell God, I'm not going to do your will. The challenge for us is to make sure, and and we're just going to bullet these two or three slides here, and then the lesson is yours. Number one, there's need of one to be taught. Around us, I assure you, There's need of someone around us right now that needs to be taught. But you know what that one needs? They have to have a teacher. You realize when Saul was converted in Acts the ninth chapter, a miracle was involved in getting Saul's attention, but Ananias had to decide if he would go and teach him. 
In Acts, the 16th chapter, Lydia and the Philippian jailer were reached because Paul preached to them, even though a miracle through the Macedonia call was given previously. Here we study the story of Cornelius, a man that wanted to hear, but the bottom line was they were not going to know the message of salvation unless Peter or someone would go to them. You see, the point is this. It's simple, but it's powerful. God, even in the New Testament times when miracles were allowed, God would from time to time use a miracle to get people together But God would never teach someone about what they needed to do to become a Christian through the vision or through the miracle. You see the emphasis that that brings to our study? Even in the times of miracles, God required someone to be the teacher. Not Him. Someone on earth had to be the teacher. Friends, I believe that today God has not ceased opening and shutting doors. I believe God will open doors for you and I to teach individuals. I believe He'll open doors at your workplace to make sure that a person that's searching comes in contact with you, the knowledge that someone has about how another can become a Christian. I believe that God will place certain students in a certain block at school so that you will be in that block of school with someone that's searching for God. God can open and close doors and He can put people on our streets. He can put people in our communities. He can put people in our schools and our workplaces that are searching, but He still has to have this. He has to have the person that is willing to teach to step up to it. And that brings us to this second point, and that is the command from one God. Do you believe in the command where God wants us to be a part of the scheme of salvation? When he wants us to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, that begins right outside our front door. That begins in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Do you believe it? Just like Peter, he was challenged. Do you believe it when God says that? But third, when that one command says, go to one. Go to that one person. Who is it that you'll go to? Who is it that you'll pray about? Friends, the idea of going door to door is wonderful. But the only ones that reaches are the people that are already searching. And so as effective as that is for those that are searching, we're going to have a lot greater success if everybody here is going to the ones that you know personally, where the relationship is already built and the trust is already there, and you're knocking on the door of their heart. It's not our business to cram anything down someone's throat. But it is our business to let people know that we love God and that we love them. And if they ever have any interest, we would love to be a part of helping them learn more about God. Just planting those seeds with everybody that we know. Why? Because one's important. The one that teaches, the one that plants those seeds is important. The one God who gave the command is important. And the one that we want to reach, what's the value of a soul? It's worth more than the whole world. Tonight, will you be prayerful? Did you notice that in this story of conversion, did you notice that both of these men, Cornelius and Peter, they were used by God, but both of them in these stories began in prayer? And Cornelius even began in fasting. I want to encourage you to meditate 
and to find what you believe God's will would be for you to be serious about reaching others. Do you need to fast? How much do you need to pray about it? What will you do to make sure that you are becoming everything that God needs you to be for us to reach the community about us? One's important. You. You are very important in the work of the kingdom. Whatever your ability is, use it with all your heart to reach somebody. We've got to begin with ourselves. Are you saved? Have you ever been baptized into Christ for mission sins? Why not tonight? This would be a wonderful night to begin. There's nothing more important in your life than the one God who's asking you to be His child. If you have been baptized into Christ and along the way, you've lost the way. Don't you see how important it is to be right with our God? Not only for our sake, but so that we can help others. We can help others find their way. We can't sell something that we don't believe in, that we're not living. And one of the greatest things that we must do is first make sure that we're wholly converted. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.